This video is brought to you by Magellan TV. Stick around later for my personal documentary recommendation. Crimson sails entered treacherous waters, a pass hemmed on each side by the green coasts of Sumatra and the Malay Peninsula. Few sailors dared trespass here, but these colossal ships waded forward still, adorned with menacing carvings of dragons and phoenixes. Admiral Zheng Ha was leading the Imperial fleet back to China. Before him now appeared the dreadful pirate fleet of Chen Zuyi. Chen had long plundered and extorted passing vessels, and these Chinese visitors sailed into his waters heavy with cinnamon and pepper and other precious foreign goods. Zheng Ha pulled ahead with a small contingent of ships and then turned to draw the pirates out. Imperial ships then spun close. Men on deck rallied to position and sprayed burning streams of gunpowder onto the pirate vessels. Incendiary projectiles devoured their sails, and the inferno consumed ten pirate ships. Zheng Ha cruised through the wreckage, hunted for Chen Zuyi for months, captured him, and sailed back to the elegant capital of Nanjing, China. Chen Zuyi was beheaded, and Zheng Ha received by the emperor with praise, for he had delivered gold, silk, and blue-white porcelain to the courts of faraway lands, and returned with goods and envoys from India, Malacca, and Sumatra. The Chinese interpreted such exchange of fine goods as the foreign acknowledgement of the emperor as the rightful ruler of the world. Diplomacy and commerce therefore legitimized the reign of Yongla Emperor, who had only ascended the throne of the Ming Dynasty by means of a bloody civil war that usurped his nephew. At his side since he was a young prince had been the loyal Zheng Ha, whose father had been slain when the Ming armies made war against the Mongol tribes of the north, vestiges of the fallen Mongol Empire that once ruled China. Zheng Ha had been captured, castrated, and sent to serve as a royal eunuch. Now Yang La Emperor ordered his intrepid friend on another expedition across the seas. In Java they observed the Hindu Sati, the live burning of widows, and in India they beheld magnificent temples and elephants and men of many faiths. Zheng Ha was himself a Muslim, born in a China whose venerated deities and ethics derived primarily from Confucian, Taoist, and Buddhist tradition. The vast Islamic world had spread far its teachings, long sending scholars, explorers, and roving traders to distant lands. It was on those very trails that China perceived echoes of a farther world. Nearly seven centuries before, in 751, a Chinese soldier was taken prisoner in a battle against the Abbasid Caliphate, and then permitted to explore. He wrote of crossing south from Jerusalem and described a place called Molin, likely North Africa. The people there are black and their customs are bold. Chinese cities hosted Arab trading colonies, where merchants unfurled from their packs rhinoceros horn, frankincense, and rare spices, 
goods from Islamic settled East Africa. Those Islamic states also began to raid the African hinterland for people. The fledgling Arab slave trade moved Africans to Iraq, and over the centuries a handful of these enslaved Africans came to China as the captives of Arab traders. Others were sold into a life of servitude in Chinese households. The wretched lot of these men did not, however, diminish Chinese estimation of free Africans. Indeed, in the late 11th century, the Song Emperor prepared an ornate procession of royal boats to receive a delegation of African traders, and he gifted them white gold and inquired of their country. Commerce carried information. Medieval Chinese merchants, the most daring of whom had themselves traveled to Africa, passed along stories of brave nomads loyal to their chiefs and warring clans who roamed a country that shook with giant creatures. By the 13th century, a customs inspector on the Chinese docks had gathered an image of this place, consistent with East African folklore. He wrote that in Africa, Many people practice magical arts and can change themselves into birds, beasts, or sea creatures to frighten and delude the foolish commoners. If in their business dealings with a foreign ship a grievance arises, they cast a spell to bring the ship to a standstill. Thus, from the wanderings of audacious merchants grew a mythos, peculiar stories of kingdoms and spellcasters at the far end of the sea. And though the Silk Road flourished under Mongol hegemony, and the old camel trails brought to China African scholars such as Sayyid of Mogadishu, the Mongol Khans had little interest in trade upon the pirate-infested seas. Now came the days of the Ming Dynasty. Admiral Zheng Ha would lead the awakening of the Dragon Throne. In 1414, as hundreds of ships and 30,000 men sailed to India and beyond, a contingent of Zheng Ha's fleet returned to Yongla Emperor with a gift from the King of Bengal. This beast, the wise men of the court said, was the legendary Qi Lin, by whose mystical footprint the great Confucius had been conceived in ancient times. They described it as a Qi Lin whose shape was as high as 15 feet with the body of a deer and the tail of an ox and a fleshy, boneless horn. Gentle is this animal that in all antiquity has been seen but once. It seemed this creature of a higher realm had crossed into the mortal plane to shine as the first light of a new and prosperous age. This was a giraffe from the eastern coast of Africa. A year later, Zheng Ha returned with the main fleet. In his western voyages to grand Islamic cities, he had met many esteemed Africans, and so he came to Yongla Emperor with another Qi Lin, and ambassadors from the African city-state of Malindi. Within a year, envoys from Mogadishu and Brava also came to the imperial courts, and the meeting of these distant powers consisted of an exchange of gifts, diplomatic gestures, and the emperor's promise to transport his visitors home. And so Zheng Ha prepared his fleet, returned to the shimmering palaces of India, and advanced to the court of the Sultan of Aden. All the while, Zheng Ha consulted the stars for direction and poured daily over a 21-foot map that roughly charted the coasts ahead.
white flocks of tiny Dao ships parted before the hulking vanguard of the ancient and faraway dragon throne. Weary sailors and officers and translators clambered into the city streets under the shade of lustrous towers and sloping palm trees. From tall lime and coral rag houses, men came with abundant goods, and women passed in vibrant scarves and dresses, and children stared at the procession of foreigners. This was Africa. The city of Mogadishu was a metropolis of Somali and Swahili-speaking people, tracing their origins to inland Africans and Arab settlers. They lived here under the Ajaran Sultanate, a wealthy network of powerful sheikhs who cultivated ocean-crossing trade, which brought to these shores Persian, Indian, and Indonesian merchants. The Chinese travelers noted the gold earrings of the women in the arid land around the fishing port. Your eyes rove round to meet only sighs and stares, desolation the whole country nothing but hills, but rare spices and rare beasts evoke a sigh of admiration. Cheng He's men offered cream-colored porcelain, gold, satins, rice, and silk, and received myrrh and ivory, and live rhinoceroses, lions, ostriches, and zebras. These locals were no doubt wary, for the Chinese fleet appeared a floating city armed with the largest ships on earth. Cheng He had earlier mobilized this power to dethrone and replace a king in Sri Lanka, who turned away his trading mission. The fleet continued south to the smaller settlements of Brava and Zubu, and they likely traded with nomadic clans, and sailed to the kingdom of Malindi in the great trade center of Mombasa. If the whole world belonged already to the emperor, he had no need to conquer that which he already owned, nor wage gratuitous war against those he considered subjects. This was an age of diplomacy. Arab, Indian, and African envoys joined a parade of soldiers and giraffes and nobles through the marvelous center of the newly constructed Forbidden City. Glowing paper lanterns lined the path, and fireworks scattered light over the moats. Young La Emperor greeted them, and read from royal scrolls, and beheld this city, the new northern capital of his ascendant empire. But soon the fleet sailed again to Africa, and the Emperor sensed the heavens were turning against him. Lightning struck the Forbidden City and burned several wings. Famine starved the countryside, and on the northern fringes of his country where stood scattered walls and lonely garrisons, tribes of raiding Mongols overtook the land. The old emperor rallied his armies to hunt them, and on the long campaign he succumbed to illness. His successor would decry his voyages as frivolous and costly. Scholar officials voiced a Confucian disdain for foreign affairs and warned of the ambitions of influential eunuchs like Zheng He. This emperor died after nine months on the throne, and he was succeeded by Xianda Emperor. In 1431, he summoned Zheng He, now in his sixties, for another voyage. So departed the Great Fleet, divisions of which returned to the familiar ports of Asia, and after a decade of silence sailed into the bustling harbors of Africa. 
There people drank from Ming pottery, adorned their mosques with Chinese porcelain, and draped themselves in Eastern silk. Chinese and European maps would later possess details that suggested the fleet ventured far south to trade with the peoples of now Tanzania and perhaps southern Africa and a Madagascar already settled by Indonesians. This was the final voyage. It's thought that Zheng He passed away of illness en route back to China, his body pointed toward Mecca and buried at sea. At the close of that century, Vasco da Gama led the Portuguese around the southern tip of Africa. The Portuguese would sack and forcibly settle parts of the eastern coast. Africans who recalled the Chinese treasure fleet found European ships and goods unimpressive. And so the Portuguese became middlemen in the trade with the Far East. For the ships of the Dragon Throne had not been seen in a generation. The palace gates of China were shut and her seas fell again into piracy. A court official named Liu Dacia regarded the old voyages as indulgent and fanciful, and he destroyed or hid the official travel logs of Zheng He. What remained were the accounts of several learned crew members. And across the ocean, a Swahili poet recalled African cities where their feast tables were spread with ware from China, each drinking vessel traced with fine engraving. By 1800, the age had passed and where once the porcelain stood in the wall niches, now wild birds nestle their fledglings. Along the East African coast, there are villagers who claim descent from shipwrecked Chinese sailors. And in the ground and on quiet strips of shoreline, one still finds faded shards of Chinese porcelain and coins minted with the mark of Yongla Emperor. Remnants of the Golden Age. The dramatic and brutal rise of Young La Emperor, or Zhu Di, fell outside of the scope of this video, but the documentary The Center of the World from Magellan TV beautifully depicts his story in live-action battles and majestic palaces. It's the immersive opening to the China's Forbidden City series from Magellan, and you can go watch it for free right now. Just click the link in the description and you'll also get an exclusive free month of membership to Magellan TV with access to Magellan's catalog of 3,000 history documentaries. And they're adding new documentaries in history, crime, and science every single week. So click that link and you can start streaming these through your TV, mobile device, laptop, or other streaming device right away.